0: in our culture we learn through stories but what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life what if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative my name is Tim Kroll and on this podcast you will hear real stories the good the bad and the ugly real people sharing the hard times the bends in the roads along life's journey if you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. All right, welcome back. Once again, we've got another Great story. <laughs> I mean, in fact, this one, Al and I, we were actually talking back in the green room here off of the recording and it just kept drawing on and on and on. And next thing we know, it's like 15, 20 minutes is gone and we're just still having this conversation. And I'm like, oh, we need to get that recording done. Cause this story, we, we got to get this story out. Al man, I appreciate you being on here. I know there's so much stuff that goes on cause we've had a lot of conversation offline on phone calls. I know there's a lot of cool things that you're doing, but let's start with this. For those that don't know, they meet you in an elevator, elevator doors close, 30 seconds you got, who is Al?
1: Who are you? Well, Al Gettler is a husband to Nancy, a father to MK, Samantha, and Jillian, a pop to Ellie and Freddie and Amira. I'm a person that likes to get things done when I see things need to happen. I I, uh, typically try to, my mind physically uh, and and mentally just starts moving in a direction of let's get it done. Hmm. I'm a person that loves to laugh. I think you know that, uh, Tim, uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, I yep. love to laugh. And I think the biggest thing that I've, I've really called over the years about who I am. I, I'm a connector. For some reason I collect people and I connect them and, you need a pipe fixed, I know a guy. You need a roof fixed, I know a guy. You need to re- retool the entire structure of your corporate organization. I know a, I know a gal. So yeah. A couple of a them, gal. probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I would actually add one more thing in
0: there. And I, I know, like I said, 30 seconds you can't ever talk about. But I think you've got a, a creative streak in there, more of an entertainer streak that you've got in there. And again, it, maybe it comes from the fact of loving
1: to laugh, but I know that that you're definitely an entertainer. Well, yeah, I mean, so I majored in theater in college. I mean, that was that was the original intent, and when we get a little deeper into the story. But, you know, I, I have been an entertainer. I mean, I'll jump right into that. At, at the age of eight, my brother bought me a ventriloquist dummy for Christmas, uh, Christmas of 1969, and I'll just will mention also the same year, the Mets won the World Series. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> 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 um, and I think, I don't know, my, my brother since passed away, which is one of the real tragedies of my life, but, you know, he recognized somehow that I that, that would watch this after school television in the New York City suburbs where we grew up and you know that I that I love ventriloquism and puppets and you know I got this dummy for Christmas and it kind of helped me Realized just how much fun I had performing. I was not a shy kid. Sometimes you hear Ventriloquist say, oh, "I was a very shy person," and the dummy, yeah. you know, helped me. No, I wasn't it at all. But yeah. I just kind of added, you know, added a layer to two, and then instantly took to it. Instantly was pretty good at it. And then when I was twelve, a guy handed me twenty bucks, and I realized, "Well, oh, wait, what? I can make money <laughs> from this?" And you know, <laughs> never looked back. You know, and it's so funny how you explore life. I realized years and years later that it was actually Jim Henson and Ralph the dog on the Jimmy Dean show. For anybody that wants to remember that or wants to. <laughs> <laughs> look at youtube and see what that's about truly a charming guy jimmy dean was and and mm-hmm. ralph the dog was one of the earlier muppets and that's one of the things that probably turned me the puppets so. yeah yeah well uh, so that's where
0: it's interesting how i see lines of parallel where i've got this line of lego and i'm very obviously many people yeah. know about the passion of lego and then i see you with the ventriloquism and i y- you don't realize how deep the rabbit hole is when you start to go down some of these things and so when i first entered the lego world I was like astonished. And then you started telling me about all the differences of the ventriloquism and all these different nuances. Yeah. And I'm
1: like, yeah. that's just as deep and just as complex uh, and just as interesting. And it's really, really cool. I mean, you know, we're, we're on a headshot right now for recording, but if I move my camera around, you know, to my right are shelves and shelves of, of things just dedicated to a guy named Edgar Bergen and his dummies, Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snerd, which he was a huge, again, if you're, if you're too young, look it up. But uh, he was the number one <laughs> star in America in the 30s and 40s. He had the number one rated radio show. He was in movies. Mm. And he had a commercial success selling items with Charlie McCarthy's face on it. And he had a guy, I don't know what happened to him. His name was Walt Disney. And the two of them actually were buddies. And they started figuring out the commercial aspect of selling a character for, for profit. And that's yeah. uh, that's that's why I love to study Bergen. But there's all other yeah, yeah, we could go on and on. Let's yeah, see. well, and
0: I know that you're connected with <laughs> Jeff Dunham and a whole bunch of other guys yeah, that are really yeah, famous, yeah. and so I get Jeff that. And I but from the same, clue. yeah, exactly. So, all right, well, let's go ahead and backtrack a little bit. I, I mean, that's a longer introduction, but I love that aspect of you. So, let's go and start with what we always talk about as far as growing up. What was life like and what were the narratives that you were taught or what were the narratives that were exemplified for you throughout your childhood that you thought, this is the way that I'm going to live the rest of my life. And let, let's just start with that part of it. And where yeah. where did that begin to in your development stage? Where did that start? My
1: mom and dad are both from the Bronx. I uh, actually Dad in North Manhattan first, but then the, eventually the Bronx. And. So the Bronx, New York, is is where my family is from. I was the first kid that was born and raised on the other side of the bridge, but uh, felt like I grew up in the Bronx too because there was always somebody having a birthday, getting married, dying. St. Patrick's Day, we're a big Irish Catholic family, you know, blah 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 blah. So you know, I kind of live by if you will, you know, uh, on the Hudson River. <laughs> mm. So, but but dad was uh, dad worked for the power company of New York City, Con Edison. That's what he did out of the Navy. He's a World War II vet, served on the USS Fulton, the submarine tender. That gave him his talents as an electrician and and a machinist, and he went to work for this power company, and that's what he did for his entire career. So that entire career thing is important. But he was also very, very involved in our community. He was a firefighter. He built the Little League field in town with his buddies for his Little League field. He eventually got involved in town. I mean, politics, town government is probably a better way to put it. Planning board uh, all the way up through then being on the town committee and then being the mayor of our town. So and dad was a larger-than-life kind of guy. He was no angel by any stretch of the imagination. Being a World War II vet, beer and shot guy, and I think he did most of his politicking at the lodge, which was the bar across the street from the fire station where he was captain. But yeah, you know, just a loud, funny, you know, always center of attention kind of a guy and and uh and and just you know, always fun to be around. My mom was You know, kind of a stoic, you know, a little Irish woman, barely five foot tall. Five kids, plus my dad she was raising when I was little, and I mean that. In 1968, my parents announced that they were having a sixth child. Mm. It was the same year my oldest sister, Kathy, married my brother-in-law, Milt, who since passed away, but she married Milt that same year. My mom danced at her wedding in a very... Old pink dress and maternity wedding dr- mother of the bride wedding dress maternity I don't know if they even make those anymore right but maybe they do. <laughs> anyway my sister was born not long after that but I will remember the day my sister was born I was at a swim club in town called The Grove which is where we all hung out and swam and played baseball and snack bar a bit and I called home on the on the phone. We didn't have cell phones, right? So I called home on the phone and I told my brother to pick, asked my brother to pick me up, which he did, and he told me that my mother and father were off to the hospital, that my my sister was going to be born, and later that evening I waited for the news, and suddenly the the mood of the household dropped dramatically. It became very dark and and solemn, and couldn't figure it out. I remember being seven years old. You know, yelling and crying. Tell me what's going on. And you know, it, it seems tragic then because it was not understood as well as it was. But my sister was born down syndrome, and it was a surprise. You know, today you can determine those those types of births before they happen, but back then not. And literally, the doctor, you know, the doctors at the hospital said my my parents had a choice of institutionalizing this little baby or or not. And my father said, you know, kind of like you son of a bitch. That's my daughter and uh, we'll raise her and and and, mm. and that's uh, what they did and, and so my parents were you know, my mom was kind of not when I say stoic I mean you know we it wasn't touchy feely in my house wasn't a lot of i love yous wasn't a lot of uh, big hugs as you walked out the door but through my sister Colleen our family transformed and the center of love and the angel that she was and neighbors the church all kinds of people came in and and really helped us understand the gift that we have been given by having Colleen in our life. And here I am, seven years old, right? With a Down syndrome sister. And remember, the teenage years were were not far off. And people staring and pointing. And, you know, Down syndrome folks were not as integrated in our society as as they are today. Right. So, you know, it ended with with dirty looks back, sometimes words, sometimes, you know, fisticuffs. And you know, it was just my sister knew nothing but love. She was amazing. She was a sweetheart. I mentioned I used to do these shows after I was 12 years old. She was my number one fan. She'd sit in the front and scream out my name in the middle of the show. And yeah, she was just a delight and really the kind of the center of our family for, for most of our lives. So, I, man, there's a lot of stuff there that we could kind of dig down and
0: unpack and, and see. And it's interesting because we kind of just touched on a very pivotal point component that was both in your life as well as within your family's life and the fact that you were at seven at a younger age, like you said, you, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, love use type stuff and like you said, very stoic and not a lot of attention in that emotional side, but yet when your sister comes along, all of a sudden like the whole world shifts and changes.
1: You just nailed it. I'm shaking my head. Yes. I mean, yeah. I, I was the baby of the family, right? I mean, I w- I can remember being called the baby. Mm. Grab the baby, you know, when I was four years old and all of a sudden, you know, my baby status is gone. So, you know, I could have gone to a life of angry jealousy for that matter, you know, but, but this sweet person who was my sister, just the opposite. So much to learn from that. That's my parents love, Tim. Right. Because, you know, my parents, my parents, that's how their love came out. You know, yeah, but let's uh, start. In, let's start in with the
0: first part of it before your sister arrived, because yeah. it sounds like you actually had kind of one concept of the way that your parents were, and then your sister showed up, and then that totally changed the concept of of how a family works. So, what was it like before your sister stepped in? What yeah, you, you said there wasn't
1: a lot of connection. There was just. Oh, I can't, know. not to say there wasn't connection. Okay. I mean, okay. My, 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 mom was an absolutely wonderful mom. Okay. And, and she kept things moving and light and fun in some respects. There just wasn't a lot of, you know, again, the way we are with our, our daughters, you know, today, there was not that, that physical, every time you walked out the door, you got a hug. Remember yeah. how much I love you. And then, you know, we didn't, we didn't have that, you know, yeah. and that's, that's fine. You know, um. But there was so much fun and love, and, and, and my dad certainly kept things interesting. You know, Friday nights when he got paid, he might come home a little late. So, I mean, you know, there was that kind of unpredictable aspect of life. And it was a big, loud household. I had three older brothers and an older sister. You know, it was the sixties, it was rebellion. It was, you know, college, it was all these things. My, my brothers and sisters were, were much older than me, uh, you know, one, seven years, but then they, they go on up to, again, the, the span of, 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 15, 18 years older than me. So, you know, it, it was a very active, I was seven when my sister got married. So you, 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 you know, you, you kind of add that, that up. So mm-hmm. my household was always moving, always churning, always, we lived in a small Cape Cod house. The boys were all upstairs in one bedroom. We each had a corner of the room. So here's this little seven-year-old growing up with, you know, men.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to sum it up, like what were the beliefs or what was the foundation of how you believe life was going to be? And maybe it's prior to seven, maybe it was some of the things that kind of happened through seven, even after your sister was born. But what did you believe life was going to be like?
1: Oh, I believe life was going to be—you know—looking at my dad, I was going to get a job with the company that was going to be with uh, my whole life, and and uh, you know, be well established and and well taken care of, and you know, I lived in a nice town, lovely town, you know, where it was transitioning from more of a, a middle-class blue-collar to the northern part of our town was starting to build big houses, and that was changing. And I went to school with these kids, and so I was I was exposed to like my, my friend Brian's father was president of JCPenney department store. My dad's friend Bill Walsh was the president and CEO of A.M.P. Groceries store And my dad was you know w- was not at that level in his career, but because of his gregarious personality and how much fun he was because he was a pretty decent poker player, you know he, these were his friends. Yeah. These, were, these were the people we, we, we hung with. And so I had a very very unique exposure to lots of different people. Mm-hmm. And then when Dad got into politics, I was you know I kind of laugh about the, the, the realities of my family. MK and their wife live in Rhode Island and MK is a very successful chief marketing officer. Samantha and her husband, Sean, um, didn't mean to not mention Natasha, my daughter-in-law, Sean and, uh, my son-in-law and Samantha, my daughter live in South Jersey and they have our three grandchildren, but then 15 years later comes along Jillian who is, you know, 20 and a junior in, in college and I'm dad 2.0, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm not the same dad. So, at yeah.
0: So just, just kind of explain that because I know people listening, there might be getting confused. Are these. Are
1: they your your sisters? Are they your brothers? Are they your daughters? Or like my my daughters? I'm talking about now. I'm coming back to my dad. So those are my daughters, right? Those uh, those are my children: MK, Samantha, and and Jillian. And so Jillian, I'm 2.0, right? I'm broken in. I'm dad, (laughs) right? Right. So with my dad, when you get to me being seven, my dad was 2.0, and then comes along Colleen who really changes him on, on another layer. And then my dad gets even more involved in politics and runs for mayor. And I'm a part of all that, mm. you know, where my siblings are not, I'm going door to door, knocking on doors, handing out flyers, campaigning with my dad. I'm sitting in the back of, of town meetings. I'm meeting, writing you know, the parades, writing parades. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, uh, state senators, right. you know, politicians, you know, whatever are frequenting. So, I mean, you know, I got to see dad 2.0 in my life too. Yeah. So I, it's funny how it just came back around to that. So life was really, really good for me. I, I grew up in a beautiful suburb in a nice neighborhood, and having my sister—you know, for some people it could be a tragedy. It was not. It was a, a beautiful, wonderful thing. Initially, it felt like it isn't was, that you know? isn't that interesting about that aspect?
0: Just the like you said, you kind of felt the dread in the household, and you were like at seven running around, like what's going on what's going on, and that tragedy, or what would be perceived at that time as a
1: tragedy, actually was the greatest blessing that you could have had. Especially for the family, without doubt. Mm. But you know, there's community again, Tim. Right? There's community. Yeah. The, the, the our family doctor, the guy that caught me, introduced my parents to people who had Down syndrome children. Mm. It turned out one of my best friends in the third grade, Timmy Gilb, had a Down syndrome brother. It was mm. their firstborn, and he was he was away at school. He wasn't institutionalized. He was away at a school. Mm. To help him thrive. His, uh, Tim's dad was a uh, an executive with GAF. I don't know if you remember that company, it's gone now. They used to make slide ma- slide viewers. Remember that thing? The little <laughs> thing that's fun around, right? So, I mean, you know. Uh, new Masters. <laughs> so, you know, new Masters, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and there was a, a little girl right around the corner from us who became Colleen's best friend, Annie Ward. Yeah. You know, we didn't know any of those things until the whole world was opened up. Yeah. So it's it's just. So was
0: was that the biggest mindset shift that you could see in your own life, or was there other things that happened that really kind of shifted? I mean, I know you said briefly that it was an expected aspect to just go to and work with one company for the rest of your life. That was an expectation, possibly a, a narrative that was pushed on you. The other thing that this is one of the narratives that I see that you're kind of talking about is the fact that the love and the acceptance. That's a very Very true. Very positive narrative that was founded even early on. But were there other things that kind of shifted some of the mindset, the perspective of how life was going to take place?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I think that you know because of actually because of Colleen and because of doing shows the way I did and volunteering more to do shows and becoming more of a performer, my mindset went more towards the arts. Right. So by the time I get to high school, I'm now I'm going to be in school plays and. And my high school is a unique place. I tell my kids it's kind of like the show Glee. Both athletics and arts were both emphasized. Even going back to my brothers, you know, my brother Tom was a was a scholarship wrestler at the University of Hartford in Connecticut, right? But he and my brother Duke, my oldest brother who passed away, they were both in the select choir, you yeah. know? They both sang. They both were in the musical Damn Yankees in, in, in high school. So that was kind of my... I got to see them do that stuff. That set the... Literally the stage for me, right? Where when right. I got to when I got to high school. But then our football coach was was also the choir teacher. And when we did the 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 winter musical, the guys were all expected to be there. You know, we yeah, that's interesting to, to audition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it just became more and more and more a part part of my life. Where finally, you know, when I, I I got to senior year, and I truly I had no plan. I had zero plan. You know. And then one day I got scared, and I went to my guidance counselor, and she helped me apply for. For state college in New Jersey. And, and that's, that's where I went to college, William mm. Patterson College, now university and, and majored in theater. Mm. you know, and then I had my mind set on, I was going to be an actor, ventriloquist, show business, dun 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 dun, 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 you know, but then in high school, you know, I, I had met a, a, a young lady who I dated and continued to date through college. And, you know, one of the conversations we had is she was looking for more of a stable lifestyle that comes around to be a, a, a nasty joke in the end. But <laughs> <laughs> so I, I decided that I was going to put that off. And when I graduated, I, uh, you know, I went, I needed a car after college. I had my great uncle had left me a big old Ford LTD that died in the parking lot of the place where I went to work which was mm. a newspaper I went to work for the newspaper the my hometown so that, paper wait which wait, wait that's
0: a shift though that, that's a big shift that's huge that's what I'm saying
1: this is the shift
0: yeah this this is the arts shift. arts and theater right. and then all of a sudden it's like well no I need to do something stable and so you're like okay going back to that so th- this is
1: really interesting this is a huge shift I started saying I needed a car I needed mm. a car and I saw the job in the newspaper at the newspaper to be in the circulation department, manage carrier boys, and girls, you know, in the circulation department, and it, it came with a car, full time car. <laughs> Only had the name of the newspaper on the side of it. So I said, "Well, I can do this for a few months until I save to buy a car, right?" I mean, that's that's kind of easy, you know. Yep. So I entered this newspaper, which is one hundred seventy five thousand daily, two twenty five on Sunday. Doesn't mean a lot today when it, when compared to web traffic, but. Back then, that was a big, big newspaper, highly penetrated newspaper in, in our in our home t- uh, county of Burton County, New Jersey. The family that that owned it, gentleman that ran it, Mac Borg, you know, obviously very wealthy and successful man. And they took an interest in me in uh, almost right out of the gate. Here I was, you know, I started there when I was 22. MK came along not long after that. So now we had, we had waited, we had thought we were going to wait a little while, to have a family. Suddenly another paradigm shift. Right now I've got a child. Um, Nancy, <laughs> Nancy, Nancy how you grew girl up really the girl really I dated. Quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you grew Nancy, up real the girl fast. <laughs> who I dated. We were, we had this plan. We we're going to, you know, wait five years, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that, that, that didn't happen. So that's fine. You know, I was saying in our house, man plans and God laughs. So that's fine. <laughs> we, we get that. You know, and, and so anyway, they, they they take an interest in me. And I realized too, that this is the media. It's not disconnected to that that vein in me that likes to be part of moving, fasting. You know, I found myself in the newsroom. I found myself mm. in the press room. I found myself all over the building. I had I had I had old grouchy guys literally say, hey kid, get the hell out of here. You know, because I would hang around, you know. Or what are you doing in the photo studio you know get lost that kind of stuff you know and and now I leave him alone he's just trying to learn stuff you know literally that's kind of how my life went at the record and then eventually i got a, almost an MBA education because i started bringing in some people to educate a, a small group of us that they took a, an interest in in the newspaper so i mean you know i i just uh, i was so lucky that they took this interest in all of us and i and i got a further education and that led me down the path of like i said nancy wanted stability The opposite thing happened in our journey. When you wanted to get ahead in the newspaper business, you moved on to the next city and the next city and the next city. Nancy has moved this family eight times. Yeah. We have lived in Jersey, South Jersey, which is almost two different states, right, outside of Philly. We lived in upstate New York. We lived in Ohio for a decade. We lived in Massachusetts outside of Boston. We were back in New York. We moved to New Hampshire outside of Boston. We moved to Burlington, Vermont, north of Burlington, Vermont, where we live now, and some other, you know, short stops in between. So we've moved a bunch. That was something that neither one of us saw coming. And, you know, I don't think it's been fair to my wife, quite frankly, all these moves, but she's done an amazing job doing that. And you know you don't realize it when you get to this point in time tim where you know you've given your life to a uh, to an industry that you loved as much as i do or did love newspapers and the media and then you get to the stage where 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 i am where we are all as a society right now where the party is literally over mm. you know it is i hung on for as long as i possibly could up until the point where i was even out consulting and helping people build revenue right in your backyard in, 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 in Michigan. Uh, in the UP, you know? No. So, you know, it, it just, when, when I look back on it, would I treat it? Never. I mean, some of the experiences that I had, some of the people that I met, places I got to go, just incredible. Wish it could have been a little different for, for my family and my wife, but, you know, I can't change that, but I, I think I would have rethought it a little bit.
0: But there's definitely a lot of good and a lot of positivity that comes out of some of that, even though that there was challenges. And I I truly believe this in my heart, that each of us go through whether it's through the family aspect, business aspect, whatever you want to call it. And sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it's just hard times. Sometimes it's the move where you have to learn something all, all again. But each of us as individuals, we go through those things. And it's an opportunity yeah. to either learn from it, grow from it, or we can allow that situation to make us better. And it's good to hear
1: that it sounds like this has been a very positive thing and you've learned through that. Yeah, say it definitely was. I'll bring, the, you know, my, my mom and dad's community foundation into everything. Everywhere I've ever moved, I've tried to make a difference mm. in, in the communities that I've lived in. I wasn't a carpetbagger by any stretch of the imagination, even mm. though I didn't always spend more than, you know, than seven, eight years in a community. But in Ohio, I I, I led the restoration of a 1928 circus Theater to today. It's still the Midland Theater in Newark, Ohio, is still putting on fantastic shows and, and yeah and uh, is a beautiful 8.0 million dollar renovation of a theater that's back online that didn't exist before you know in the boston suburbs i get very involved in rotary and was president of the rotary club and we did a lot of really fantastic you know, projects too numerous to really get into but yeah let's do this let's focus in on how do you currently live? and what are the
0: things that you do that are your kind of like your base marks, your benchmarks of these yeah. are my values and this is what I live by? because it sounds like this has been a growing experience from the beginning. It's not something. some people's stories, it's like a major shift. like it's like this one bright light kind of a moment. But yet, yeah, we've talked about multiple things that have gone down, even starting as early as age seven, and then shifting in your, I would say, late teens, early 20s, and then the moves. And it's okay. like, it's been a constant shift for you. Yeah. So what are the values that you hold dear? What is the core elements that you say, these are my uncompromising beliefs of how I'm going to operate
1: my life? I think, I mean, c- number one of that is, is, is just community always has been, you know, building a network of friends, having, a uh, being part of the community, giving back to the community anyway. can. today I live in South hero, Vermont. I am captain of the fire department, uh, hmm. followed in my dad's footsteps in that way. And I was a late bloomer. I didn't start uh, becoming a firefighter until I was 57 years old because I didn't have the time. Kim Julo, who was the fire chief at the time, Kim was from New Jersey as well, and she kept bugging me to join, bugging <laughs> me to join. And when I left the grind, the daily grind of the newspaper, she said, now you can join. And I did. And then she tricked me into becoming an EMT. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so here I am with a pager getting up in the middle of the night, but that's what it's all about. You know I mean? Hmm. last Just last night, we were all in a, in a, in a, uh, an RV park where we had automobiles that we were learning how to cut, you know, mm. with, uh, with uh, the, those big tools that, you know, people see on the side of the road if they pass an accident sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, so that's a big part of it. And, and, you know, to me, part the extension of that is a volunteer fire department can be a very deep part of the community. So we've done a lot of good in the community. We've, we brought all during the pandemic. We had. We started a light parade in the holiday season, you know, that continues today that people literally look forward to year after year, you know, that's the stuff my mom and dad told me. That's the core of who I am. That's the part I almost, I, I couldn't run away from if I tried, yeah. you know, but and when it, you, look, you look at my siblings, it's the same thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it ties in, and, and this is where I see the web of your life kind of all tied together. And it t- ties in with the entertainment aspect. It, it ties in with the fact that I know you in your heart, you love bringing joy to the audiences. And you've got a bunch of dummies
1: in your office. <laughs> I'm sure you probably got you got one sitting next to you. I'm pretty sure you got something there. But <laughs> well, I do, and I'll introduce them in a second, but I will not tell you one 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 kind of weird aspect of that when you because you like to have these, these come back around stories so my mom and dad were entranced by they loved show business my my dad was a joke teller he was the MC of every everything that ever happened you know that i can remember and my mom had a beautiful singing voice she just absolutely uh, had a fantastic uh, the voice that would come out of this little woman was amazing but they loved watching tv and they loved telling me who the stars were and they even had a they had an almanac. they could look up the birthdays of the actors and hmm. you know so they they loved the show business. They they just had a, uh, a you know a thing for show business. So when I look back too that kind of fed me that fire you know, some, in, some, in some aspects too. So between all of the fun things that you do there, the fact that you bring in
0: the community and that's a core value, a, a part of your narrative that also leads into what you do. And this is where I love how it ties together because you're acting out of a passion and out of a purpose. So just kind of briefly share with us what, what it is that you do, because I think this is really important yeah. and I love what what it is you're doing.
1: Yeah, so when the journey ended in media, right, I mean, it held on as long as I could. And then well, you and I met met during the pandemic, and mm. it was during the pandemic that I transitioned out of it all together. And I was, you know, let's say I was lost. You know, I didn't know quite what was going to be next. I did some business consulting. I performed, uh, even, even in the pandemic, I was very lucky. I was one of the earliest performers that I know of to get out there and have a, a mm. steady gig. But it still wasn't the thing, right? I had to find the thing. And through lots of, uh, of, of searching, I found a position and I thought, wow, this just sounds like it's me, you know? So I've gone to work with a nonprofit, which is a new world for me. It's a family foundation and it's called Community Heart and Soul. And when you dig into what Community Heart and Soul is all about... When I tell people, you know, what it is that I do, they want, oh my God, that's you. That's so perfect, mm. you know? Well, that's the full circle, right? That's the part that I couldn't have written because my mom and dad taught me the importance of community. Mm. The town that you live in, whether you live there for five years or 50 years or 100 years, you know, is the most important thing in your life if you make it that. Yeah. And my mom and dad taught me that the finest way to live in a community is to live in a community, is to get involved, get to know people, make a difference, be on the fire department, like be a scout leader like my mom was, Hmm. you know, be involved in the little league like my dad was, you know, all those things that make a difference in a community are really what make me who I am today, the fiber of who I am. And when I look at we just had a wedding a couple of weeks ago. My my godson and my my nephew, same guy, Pat just got married and the family was together. And I and I, I I look at my brothers and I look at my nieces and nephews. And I think I can say this with confidence. We're a good family. Yeah. You know we're a good family. Everybody's making a difference. My niece Kelly is a, is is a, is a head nurse at a hospital. Her sister's teaching. You know, people with learning disabilities. My daughter uh, Sam is a, is a teaches uh, or is, is a programmer for autistic people. You hmm. know, another niece. You know, busy. I mean, they're all they're all. Another niece is a nurse. I mean, you know, my nephews a yeah. construction. To, you know, and Pat himself. You know, one got his master's degree and just they're all solid contributors. You know. So uh, there's there's a there's one takeaway that I see
0: from your life, something that I would learn. And I'll share this because just, I I love learning from people. And that is the, this one component is the aspect of how some people will look at what would be considered a tragedy or would be considered a negative. And yet because of community and because of the ability to be able to tie and weave everybody together, there's support there. The other aspect of this is I'm sure that while you were going through some of these challenges, I'll call them that. There's times when you probably sat there and like you said, you felt lost or you're like, what the heck am I doing here? Or why is this even happening? You ask those questions, but yet you just said you wouldn't trade any of those times for where you're at now because those are all learning and growing sessions. And now you're in a position where you touch so many different people's lives in many different ways through entertainment and through the, the fire and through your local community. And then also what you actually do for a job. And let me ask you this, do you find the fulfillment now in all of those things. And again, I know you wouldn't trade it, but what would you see would be your kind of defining moment with all of those things kind of as you touch in each of those communities?
1: That's a tough question because I, you know, I'm blessed that I've had some some pretty significant defining moments. But I can tell you about my defining moment is when well Thanksgiving is coming here. You know, when when people listen to this isn't not connected to, but we're recording this at a time where Thanksgiving is not that far down the block. Mm. My defining moment is when I sit around that table and I look at my my children and my grandchildren and my beautiful wife and I say, you know, for as, as short attention span that I have and for as crazy as a life it's been, this is a beautiful family. And that that's everything to me. You know, mm. when I hear the word pop come out of a little voice as they're running out of the minivan to come into the house. That's the defining moment to me. I have not done everything in life perfectly right. I have done a lot of things wrong. I'm probably an extremely hard guy to be married to. In fact, I know I am (laughs) an extremely hard guy to be married to. So, you know, I'm blessed that I have this wife that gives me the, the, the space that I need to be who I am. But when you sit around that table and you look, there's no conflict. We're very diverse. We're very different. Mm. Uh, And yet we come together and, and we're a family, Yeah, and that's, that's the defining moment. Yeah. I'll give you this chance. And maybe what we just spoke was that one thing, but I want to
0: give you the opportunity. Is there one thing that you would want somebody to walk away with? Something that you've said or something that maybe wasn't said, take nothing else away from this. Take this one thing. What
1: would that one thing be? He said he was going to do it. He got it done and we had fun along the way. Mm. Love that. Uh, Absolutely love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and and that means uh, so much to me throughout my entire life. Facebook is, is, you know, it gets a lot of negative spin. I'm in touch with so many of the people that were on my teams over the years. Mm. And I think that they would say that exact, I hope that they would say that exact thing about me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. So, all right. Well, <laughs> we're coming to the end of our time. We've kind of gone a little bit over. This one's a little bit longer and I, I that's okay. Cause it's such good stuff, but how can people get in contact with you? And I, I want to make sure that I want people to understand there's a couple of different things that you do. And I know it sounds like it's diverse, but yet it all comes back to that heart of community. So you've got, what do you do, you know, for a business wise, and then obviously you have ventriloquism, Give, me, give it to me. How can people get yeah. in
1: contact with you for any of those aspects? So for me, uh, personally, as an entertainer, I speak on leadership and then all that stuff. But let my, primarily, when you go to my website, it's going to be about dummies. That's about ventriloquism, <laughs> right? It's just algetler.com, A-L-G-E-T-L-E-R.com. And my email address is simply al at algatlercom The nonprofit that we mentioned and the community work that we do is communityheartandsoul.org, communityheartandsoul.org, right? Uh, Take a look at that. If you are in a town that's a town or a small city, that's somewhere around 35,000 or less, and you're looking for a way to have a resident-driven planning opportunity to really sit down and discuss what's important to your town. And Tim, this is the most amazing piece about what you're doing. Community Heart and Soul is all about story. Mm. It's about hearing a person's story, why they live where they live, and what's important to them. From that, we get all kinds of information and we help Absolutely. them forward. Yeah. Love it, love it. And we will put those in the notes. So if you are listening in the
0: car, you might have to go back, take a look at the notes, copy that stuff down. If you're still listening and you actually want to see some of the stuff that you couldn't see, you're going to actually have to go to YouTube because we'll upload the videos there and you'll be able to see Gidget and you'll be able to see my little Lego minifigure. So again, I know those that are listening, you're going to have to, on this one specifically, you're
1: going to have to go to YouTube to be able to see exactly what it was we were talking about at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I'll add too, if you can't afford Jeff- Jeff Dunn and then go to my website. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So again, Al,
0: thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing parts of your story. I know there's so much more in that. Man, huge takeaways on this and the fact of finding value, finding fulfillment and things that the world tells us we shouldn't be able to, but we do. And I, I appreciate the the transparency and the authenticity that that you've shared with us today. For those that are listening again, man, thank you. Make sure you hit that like, hit the subscribe button. I know we've got some drastically different stories that are going on. We were just talking earlier and I I find that some people resonate with one more so than another. And so take a look at the differences in our lives and value those diversities. And as you learn and you start to understand that there's value in the differences, it allows you to be able to write and craft the true narrative of your life. And so don't stop doing that. Keep going, keep writing. If something, and I, I know Al is of the same opinion here, his heart is of the same. If something touched you, make sure you reach out to us. Whether you send us an email, contact us, even if you just contact Al directly, I'm good with that. Just make sure you reach out to us because we really love hearing those stories. So until the next story, keep listening, keep writing, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live and enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.